Well, good morning, church. As we uh, are gathering here and sort of getting excited about tonight, uh, tonight's Christmas, which I believe Brad uh, shared, and uh, our worship night, it's going to be a really, uh, I'm going to say, fun night and exciting night of worship, singing a lot of Christmas songs. Kids will be reading some scripture. Um, there's cookies afterwards, so a good time of fellowship. And this is one of those, well, I don't know certain people in the church. Well, this would be a great time to get to know certain people and uh, meet them and, and, and hang out and sort of, again, get folks on what Christmas is all about. Because we've been talking about an unfiltered Christmas is what we've been doing. But um, I, I want to start off this morning just want to find out from you, what are some of your favorite Christmas songs? Okay, now, this is going to be a moment for you to sort of shout them out, but here's the thing. I want to focus on the novelty songs first, not the, not the ones we just sang, not the ones we're going to sing tonight, but some of the novelty, fun Christmas songs. Does anybody have any favorites? Jingle Bells. Jingle Bells, thank you. What else? That's what I'm looking for. Sleigh Ride. Sleigh Ride. What else? Joy of the World. That's sort of more Christmassy, not so much novelty, but I like that song. Yeah, good. What else? Okay, keep them coming. Rudolph, what? Cornflake, what was that? Drummer Boy, thank you. I said Cornflake, I don't know where that came from. What else? Yeah, oh, none of the older ladies in here wanted to hear that one, so. All right. Yeah, there's a lot of good ones out there now growing up. Uh huh. A hippopotamus, I thought it was my two front teeth. So, all right. Hippopotamus works too. So, when I was growing up, there was one that, that we sang in school. And, and understand this, I'm, back, I'm old school, back when we read the, the books about Dick and Jane. Okay, some of you are like, oh yeah. And they, there was one there that had a dog named Rex. That wasn't good. Okay. And then in, in choir class, we would sing um, the, the Frosty the Snowman. And my buddies would sing nice and loud, stumpity, stump, stump, stumpity, stump, stump, look at Rexy go. Yeah, and it's like, I'm not enjoying choir anymore. So, uh, but now let's talk about the churchy songs, the, the songs that we just sang. Give me some of your favorites. God's Not Dead. Christmassy song, though. Got to be a Christmassy song. I heard Silent Night Before. I heard Joy to the World. What are some others? Away in the Manger. Good. What else? Little Town of Bethlehem. Good. No cornflakes. Good. What was that? Oh, hold on a second. What's that? Oh, Holy Night. Yes. Mary, did you know? Got it. Good. Excellent. A lot of good songs out there, right? One of mine is, O Come, All Ye Faithful, because there's a chorus in there, O Come, Let Us Adore Him. Pastor Dave has taken that chorus every now and then and put it into some of our current worship songs, which I really enjoy. Uh, he doesn't know that, but I really do love that chorus, Oh, Come, Let Us Adore Him. But I want to throw another song out there, and that is uh, Joy to the World, which some of you uh, had already mentioned, right? But I want to let's just do this. I want us to slow down and just ponder the song for a minute. A lot of times we sing these songs, we sing them out of repetition, we sing them like, oh, we just, you know, whatever, and we don't really think about the songs, I want you just to ponder this song just for a moment before we get into the message. I want you to think about this joy to the world. Because that first part, that joy to the world, the what? Joy to the world. John 3.16 says what? For God so loved the world that whoever believes on him will not perish but have everlasting life. This joy is for the whole world. Not one people's group. Not one nation, but for all nations. Not just for the rich, but for the poor. Not just for those who are educated, but for the uneducated. This, this 
joy is for everyone. Joy to the world. Then the next line says, the Lord is come. Now we've been waiting, right? Now we know back in biblical times, there was that period in between the Old Testament and New Testament, like we're waiting for God to speak. We're waiting for God to show up. This promised Messiah was coming. When is he coming? We're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting. And now we got news that he's, that he's arrived. And there's like that excitement when you wait for something, whether it's a package, you're waiting for somebody to show up. My nephew's been uh, deployed over in Afghanistan for, for months, and uh, my sister was so excited when she said he's home. His wife, his kids were so excited when he came home. There was, there was a lot of anticipation. He finally arrived, right? So when that package, when that person finally arrives, there is that, that joy, right? So here it is. The Lord has come. They've been waiting hundreds of years for the Messiah. Now he's here, so there is some joy to this, right? Let earth receive her, what? King. Think about that word, king. A ruler, not just a ruler, but the perfect ruler. You trust his decisions. He provides safety. He'll provide security. He will provide what we need. We know within his kingdom walls, we're okay. There's security there with that king. Let every heart prepare him room. How do we prepare room for the king? A lot of us have cluttered hearts, don't we? You know, when you got somebody coming over to your house and it's like, oh, they're coming over, maybe it's last minute, or you heard, hey, we're going to stop by. What do a lot of us do? We open up the closet door and we're like, Whoom, we just shove it in there, hide the clutter, right? Or push stuff underneath things or put it up in the attic. We, you know, and here's the thing. It isn't just about making room, making it look on the outside good, but it's being able to open up every door and say, this is not cluttered here. There is room. We're going to clean it up. We're going to make sure there is room for who? The king, right? And then the next line, and heaven and nature sing. What's that all about? In Psalm 96, it says this. Sing a new song to the Lord. Let the whole earth sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord, praise his name. Each day proclaim the good news that he saves. Publish his glorious deeds among the nations. Tell everyone about the amazing things he does. Verse 4 goes on to say, Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. The gods of other nations are mere idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty surround him. Strength and beauty fill his sanctuary. O nations of the world, recognize the Lord. Recognize the Lord is glorious and strong. Verse 8 goes on to say, Give to the Lord the glory he deserves. Bring your offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in all his splendor. Let all the earth tremble before him. Tell all the nations, the Lord reigns. The world stands firm and cannot be shaken. He will judge all peoples fairly. In verse 11, let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Let the sea and everything in it shout his praise. Let the fields, their crops, burst out with joy. Let the trees of the forest sing for joy. Before the Lord, he is coming. He is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with justice and the nations with his truth. Joy to the world. The whole world has been, the whole world has been given a gift. His son, Jesus Christ. We've been waiting and he's arrived 
the heavenly king who rules in all justice for all nations, the perfect ruler who will provide peace and security and justice and fairness. Prepare your hearts. Make room in here for the king. Sing, rejoice, celebrate. Salvation is here. All nature, all the world, everything. Sing, rejoice, joy to the world. Next time you sing, joy to the world, let some of that soak in. Ponder some of that truth. There's so many reasons that we can have, you know, to sing about Christmas, but that is one of those songs that's like, there is joy. There is joy in it. And here's the thing. We're in this new sermon series called An Unfiltered Christmas. And, and that some of you said, hey, check out this picture. And I want to show you the picture behind the picture. Because we said we filter out a lot of our pictures. And we, we show something on Facebook or social media. And we say, oh, by the way, here's the rest of the picture. I've got a cluttered table with all kinds of stuff all over the place. It really, I really didn't want you to see the rest of the house, but they shared it with me, and I said, I'm probably going to share it Sunday morning, right? And I got the permission to last minute, right? And so then it's like, we also want to make everybody think that there is peace in our house, that everybody's happy, that all of our kids are good, and then we get the rest of the picture of the... <laughs> yes, that, that punch that was thrown, it's right there. So in reality, our lives are not always that joyful, um, you know, we, we get it. You know, our lives is sort of messy and it's dark at times. And we put the filter on to make it look good. And we crop out all the other stuff. We don't want everybody to know what's going on. So we have a filtered Christmas, but we said we want to have an unfiltered Christmas. Let's take off all these filters. Let's look into God's Word and see how we can have hope and joy and peace and love. And so that's what we've been doing. And today we really want to focus on this, on this joy because... At Christmas, again, God didn't send his one and only son into this world to make us happy. He didn't. God did not send his one and only son into this world to make us comfortable. He didn't. God sent his one and only son into this world to restore a broken relationship that we have with God. It's called reconciliation. And he fixed that relationship with us through his son, Jesus Christ, so that we could have peace not only with him, but with others as well. And then God also sent his one and only son into this world in our state of hopelessness when we're like fearful of things and wondering what's going on next. And he says, I want to bring you hope for a future and hope for today. And then we also let God send his one and only son into this world to bring us joy. To bring us joy. God promised a a uh, coming king, Jesus Christ, would be born in the city of Bethlehem, and we sing about it. And Christmas is singing and celebrating that baby from Bethlehem who came to rescue us and restore us and, and bring hope and peace and joy to the world. And one of those stories, there's a lot of, there's a couple stories, if you look through Matthew, Mark, and Luke, then John just comes in in a different angle altogether. But one of those stories of Christmas we find in Matthew, and I'm going to ask you to open up your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, we can bring one to you. We've got some in the back. Matthew chapter 2. It's the first book in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 1 covers a genealogy. It's like who begat who and who begat who begat who. And there's really some incredibly interesting things in that. But in Matthew 2, then, we get into another part of the Christmas story. And it is here uh, we learn about these magi or these wise men. So in Matthew chapter 2, we'll start in verse 1. 
It says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from the eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking. Now, again, these, these wise men are magi. They were, they were not magicians. I'm like, oh, is that magi? That's short for magicians. Like, no, no. They were actually a priestly class from the Zoroastrian um, religion. They were uh, advisors and scholars. They were believers in God. They were from Persia, which would be our modern-day uh, Iran. And they had traveled a long distance. And as maybe we would look uh, as Moses is equivalent with the Judaism, they would look at Zoroaster as being the equivalent to their religion. And when you think about it, it's pretty amazing is that God chose these men to come see his son. Somebody from a different religion coming to visit Jesus uh, as a child. And they, uh, they traveled 1,200 miles, somewhere around 1,200 miles. It would have taken them probably close to 60 days. Do you see the depth of their faith? I mean, they, they, were, they were definitely religious men. And they wanted to find who this king was that they were seeking. And so they arrive in Jerusalem. And the first thing they do is they go to King Herod. And they approach King Herod and is like, hey, we got a question for you, which is a little scary if you know who Herod is. But let's read what that question is. Verse 2. Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we've come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting to the leading priests and teachers of the religious law, and he said, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? Now understand this, King Herod is an evil man. See, he's king, he doesn't want anybody to take his throne. And if you've got children, especially boys, the oldest boy is going to become the next heir to the throne. So when the king dies, his son takes the place, and then the next and the next. However, King Herod is the kind of guy who says, you know what, I want the throne, nobody else gets it. So he actually executed his son, and the next son, and the next son. He executed three of his sons, he did not want them to take the throne. He wanted it for himself. That's just how evil this man is, okay? So he gets the chief priest together and goes, I don't want to know what you guys know about this king. Look at verse 5. They replied, In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, For this is what the prophet wrote, verse 6, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. See, these priests, they got together and they, they pull out the scriptures, they pull out the scrolls, and they, they know what the Old Testament prophets said, but they pull out Micah. And Micah talks about God's uh, sending a Messiah that will be born. And they share that with Herod. So Herod makes a plan. Hmm, okay. Look at verse 7. He called for a private meeting with the wise men. Of course, he didn't want anybody else to hear this, right? He learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Does some calculations. And he said, why don't you go to Bethlehem? Search carefully for this child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so I can go and worship him too. Oh, really? That's what you want to do, Herod? You really want to go worship this next king, right? A, A child you've never heard of, you've never seen. You want to go worship that king? Knowing that your three sons who would have been kings, you executed? Okay, but the wise men maybe weren't aware of Herod's reputation, what was going on. Maybe they did, maybe they did. But he sends the wise men to Bethlehem. Look at verse 9. After this interview, the wise men went their way. And a star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. 
it went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. Look at verse 10. When they saw the star, they were filled with what? Joy. Yeah. Again, let's try this again. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. Isn't that amazing? They haven't even seen the baby yet, and they're already fired up. I love that. I, always, I, I don't know why I like that verse so much. It's just like, you know, they're riding along, and they've been 1,200 miles. They've been on these camels, these donkeys, whatever mode of transportation they were on at that moment. They've been a long journey. And they see the star, the star stops, like, there, that town right there. Yes. They're all fired up. they got this joy within them, right? Look at verse 11. They entered the house, not the nativity scene, not the cave, not where he was born. They entered the house. This is later in time. They saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and they gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Can you imagine Mary and Joseph? They're in their house. And this entourage of these officials and these priestly men show up in this, this big group. And they've got all these fancy clothing on. And they've got this big treasure chest. And they come up to your door. And you're thinking, they've got the wrong place. They're looking for a palace. They've got our back room home right going on right now, right? Could what these men do, Ben, what the prophet Isaiah spoke of earlier? See, in the book of Isaiah, in chapter 60, verse 3, it says this. All nations will come to your light. Mighty kings will come to see your radiance. We're told in John chapter 1 that Jesus is the light, right? Isaiah chapter 60, verse 6 goes on to say, Your caravans of camels will converge on you, the camels of Midian and Ephath. And the people of Sheba will bring gold and frankincense and will come worshiping the Lord. Could what Isaiah prophesied, could this be it right here? Could Mary or Joseph, who maybe would have heard of the scriptures before, thought, is this? Well, they knew who Jesus was, sort of, because they've been told by the angels. They told what to, what to name him. Elizabeth proclaimed it in the temple. They had heard it from Simeon. They, they, they're like, we've got a special child here, right? Well, the wise men then had a dream, just like Joseph. Look at verse 12. And when it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route. For God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in the dream. Hey, get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod's going to search for this child to kill him. Verse 14, that night, this is called obedience. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with his child and Mary, his mother. And they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. I called my son out of Egypt. Verse 16, Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were there, who were two years old and under. Based on the wise men report of the star's first appearance. This is where we sort of get some timeline understanding of why are they in a house now? Wasn't that the nativity scene? No, that's just a nice Christmas picture, okay? We know that Herod figured out, okay, when did the star first appear? When did these wise men, the length of travel, the uh, child was born, um, the, the time distance from when uh, they traveled and all that, and they figured it all out, and it's like, mm, that child's got to be somewhere under two. So Herod's thinking, this is why I'm going to just basically say anybody in Bethlehem, age two and under, execute him. Can you imagine that? It's like walking into a nursery and just emptying out the nursery. Unbelievable. 
This is how evil this man was. His order reminds us that the devil wants to remove our joy. How often do you look at a little child and you just get a smile, right? It doesn't take long. Somebody walks in with a baby and it's like, oh, you just can't wait, right? And Herod wanted to remove all of them. He wants to rob us of peace and hope and joy. And listen, it's a dark world, but the light has arrived. And, and what is sad in, in this story, too, is that the priests, the ones who filled in Herod on, hey, let me tell you about where this baby's going to be. The priests knew this. They never traveled to go see Jesus. Are you kidding me? You're godly people. And yet you don't want to go see the king of kings? Why wouldn't you? Which is, you know, sort of typical sometimes today in this world because there are people in this world who call themselves Christians. There are people in this world who say, I believe in God, but they will never go worship. They're just like those priestly men who claim something, but they won't go pursue it. See, those men, they would have had to actually get it out of their comfortable home or town and travel. They would have had to make a sacrifice to go and see this king of kings. And a lot of us don't like that either. It's like, i got to get uncomfortable. I like comfort. And we use that as an excuse to not worship God. How unfortunate that these men, due to their excuses, never met the king of kings when he was a child. Well, someday they'll meet him. Because one day every knee will bow before Jesus Christ. And it may not be too joyful for them. They were caught in darkness. They missed the light that Jesus would, would bring. They missed what the wise men, as they were on their mode of transportation, camel, donkey, what it may be, as they saw the star and they were filled with joy. So what is this joy? What is this joy we speak of? Because they were filled with it. Have you ever seen the acronym before? Jesus, others, yourself. That's what joy is. Joy is when you learn to give to Jesus first. Your, fo- your focus is first on Jesus, then it's on others, then it's yourself last. That's, that's where you find joy. Maybe you've heard that before. So I'm, I'm going to run with that acronym this morning, okay? And sort of put it to you like this. Here's the thing about Jesus. When you give your life to him, here's the neat thing, the incredible thing. He gives you back his Holy Spirit. When you surrender and say, I'm giving it to you, Jesus, he gives that back to you, his Holy Spirit. Others, when you start giving your love to others then, you have peace with them, don't you? And then yourself. And what I mean by that is just giving yourself that daily reminder of who God is, of the sacrifice of Jesus, and the Holy Spirit's presence a lot of time we don't do that. We don't focus on any of those things like God is good. Yeah, and the sacrifice of Jesus and the Spirit's presence in your life. Let's begin with that first one, finding joy in Jesus. In the book of Ecclesiastes, there's an incredible verse, chapter 3, verse 11. It's up on the screen. It says this, Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. Look at that next part. He has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. Was, was I created, were we created to be in relationships, to be married? Were we created to have jobs and make money? Were we created to own lots of stuff? Were we created to set records, to be popular, to be well-known, to leave a legacy? Were we created for all those things? That's a part of life, 
But when I look at this verse, what I see is God sent his son at the right time, not so that I could have stuff, not so that I could have money, not so that I could have great relationships, not so that I could be well known, but he sent his son at the right time to fulfill what was going on in my heart. He planted eternity in my heart. He planted eternity in your heart. And when he sent his son, Jesus Christ, he's fulfilling what was needing to be done. You ever hear that phrase, uh, there's a God-shaped hole in our heart? You ever hear that before? And you try to stuff other stuff in and it just doesn't fit right? There's a God-shaped hole and I'm trying to put money in there and money doesn't fit that God-shaped hole, so I'm not going to be happy, right? Well, we learned from Scripture that God planted eternity in our heart. Nothing will bring joy to our hearts except for that which has been planted, which is Jesus Christ. Many of us, we, you know, we get caught up in sin, Right? And we try to hide our sin. And when nobody's around in the darkness and we're like, God knows what we're doing. You, know, you can't hide from God. The stuff that we try to pull, he knows, right? And then we feel shameful and we feel guilty for doing the things we know we're wrong. And when we realize that the darkness of our life, we, what happens is we realize we need light. In John chapter 1, we learn that God says, I'm sending the light into a dark world to save you, to expose your sin, and to rescue you from that darkness. We all sin. leads to death. But here's the amazing thing. Romans 5, 8 says that while we're still sinning, while we're still messing up, Christ died for us. It goes on to say in Romans that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord, we'll be saved. So no matter what sin and darkness is around us, we can be saved from it. But it's done by how? My works? No. Nothing. Listen, church, listen very carefully. Nothing but the blood of Jesus can save us. Only Jesus can save us. Nothing but the blood. No matter what sin we're wrapped up in, no matter what we struggle with, God can rescue you out of it. How? Through the blood of Jesus Christ. This is an amazing thing. I, I saw this on social media and looked up a little bit more. It's called, uh, the gentleman's name is Edward Bird. He belongs with a group. It's called Changed. Basically, it's men and women who chose to leave a lifestyle, leave the lifestyle of homosexuality. They were living that kind of lifestyle. And they said, you know what? I need to leave this lifestyle. This isn't for me. And they went to the capital of the United States to talk to lawmakers about a bill that was being introduced. And after a tour of the capital, uh, Edward Byrd began to sing. And he was in the rotunda, and as he started to sing, because the, the acoustics were incredible in there, as he sang, he sang this song, Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. He said this, I have a personal relationship with that song. See, when I first came out of the lifestyle of homosexuality, all things really became hard for me, as far as transitioning out of my old life into a new life. The Lord spoke very clearly to me. There's power in the blood of Jesus. The real thing that we need to do in this moment is return back to Jesus. He's the one who heals, and he did it for me. And I feel like he can do it for our world, and he can do it for our nation. What he said was really powerful, but as he sang it, it became even more powerful. I'll show you a clip of this. What 
You know, Bird said, I know it transformed me. So I believe it can transform our world. He went on to say this, I'm not a victim of the past. He goes, I'm walking in freedom today. I'm walking in love. I'm walking in liberty. And I can share that with the world. See, that's what the blood of Jesus does. A lot of us that are caught up in lifestyles and sin choices that are destroying us. And we put on the face like, I'm all, I've still got it all good, but inside we're hurting. Nothing but the blood of Jesus can change that. So that first part of finding joy in our life, church, is understanding this. It's through Jesus. Have you given your life to Jesus? If i got to do this every Sunday, I will do it every Sunday. There's really only one message that needs to be preached every Sunday, and that is the gospel. That Jesus Christ loves us. And that God sent him to this world to rescue us from our sins. And nothing but the blood of Jesus will save us. The question is, have you confessed that? Have you asked him to come into your life to take away your sin? He will do that. And that joy is first found when you give your life to Jesus Christ and you accept the sacrifice that he made. Joy is also found then in giving to others. You know, when we experience God's love and his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness, we are then filled with his spirit. One of the fruits of the spirit is joy. And now that joy that's in us, that comes from God, says, now let's go share that with other people. See, when we make room for him in our life, and we empty out all the clutter, and he does remove all that, he now enters in, and his light enters in, and now he says, I want to reflect that, and I want everybody else to see this joy, this love. And he starts working through us. And you think about this. These magi, these wise men, who do they bring gifts for? Mary and Joseph? Nope. For themselves? Nope. They gave them to Jesus. And, and oftentimes at Christmas, we will spend hundreds, if not thousands of dollars in gifts and decorations for who? I mean, whose birthday is this anyway? It's the birthday of Jesus, right? And we, we sometimes forget that. and We end up doing everything for everybody else and ourselves. And we forget, how much have I really spent on Christ? And on a birthday, you honor the one whom you're celebrating the birthday, Right? Nobody shows up to a birthday party and just gives each other gifts. We give it to the one we honor. And there is something I do love about this church, and that is I love seeing how this church gives to each other. In times of need, I see it all the time. And you're inspiring to me. And you're encouraging to me when I see how you give. And I want to encourage you to continue to let the joy of God shine through you as you give to others. 
You know, when these wise men gave, they gave their best to Jesus, didn't they? This is they opened up their treasure chest. They could have given Jesus a gourd, a sandal, and an empty box because he was a toddler. He's a little, he wouldn't have known, would he? I mean, some of you parents now, and I get when my boys were little, like, oh, we give them all this stuff. And they're like, they played with the box and the wrapping paper and the bow. It's like, don't you want to play with the cool car? And like, no, paper. They're like, oh, and it's like playing. It's like, it just does not make any sense, right? So when they gave these gifts, you know, it was like, we're just going to give our best. The parents will know what to do with it. They could have gotten away. They were not there to impress anybody because he was not a grown man being a king yet. He was just a child. But they gave their best anyway. And they didn't compare their gifts with each other. They just gave. It wasn't like, I'm giving you gold. And the guy's back saying, I got frankincense. What was I thinking? I should have brought gold too, you know? They didn't compare their gifts with each other. They just each gave of their best without comparing gifts. Let's just give what we have. And not worry about what everybody else is giving or getting. You know, when I grew up, my, my grandpa stump gave us a dollar at Christmas. One dollar. Mother grandpa gave us ten dollars. So between my grandparents, we'd end up with eleven dollars. And then eight of us in our home. Um, so mom and dad would give us one or two gifts. Usually something practical, socks, underwear, right? And then we'd exchange names with uh, the, the siblings. So I'd get one gift from a brother. And if it was my oldest brother, who was like this intellect, uh, he, I'd get a book. So, you know, underwear and books, awesome Christmas, okay? So as a 10-year-old, that was sweet, right? But we didn't complain. It's like, this is what we got. And then the year my dad was in an accident and had an accident, um, Christmas didn't happen until the end of January. And from that Christmas on, everything changed. We didn't care if it was Christmas Day when we got together as family. The important thing is let's get together and show love for one another. It didn't have to exactly be on that day. And then things changed again when my mom and dad said, let's stop giving each other gifts. And let's just start giving to a family need, a missionary. Let's just, give, let's just give to somebody else. And for years we've been doing that. And, and that's, that's, how, that's how I've grown up. And then seeing how giving is done to others. And then I look at this church and I see how you give to others. And again, I'm encouraged I'll admit there are some of you who continue to put me to shame sometimes with your generosity because I'm thinking, man, I would have never done that. I learned from you. Finally, joy is found in giving to yourself. Giving to yourself. Okay, it's like to me, from me, right? Is that what I'm saying? Anybody? uh, This might be a time of confession. Maybe you won't want to raise your hand. Anybody ever give themselves a gift at Christmas, like when you're a little kid, or you're like, you just wrap something up because you want another thing under the tree for you? Anybody ever do that? There's some adults in here that's like, I just did that last year, right? I got myself something. I did that as a little kid one time. I took blocks because I wanted to give myself something more because, again, I knew I was probably going to get socks and a a book or underwear and a book or something. So it's like, maybe I'll wrap myself up some. So I got some of my favorite blocks, and I wrapped those up. Problem was, I wasn't too... I don't know how old I was. I was young, young enough to know that um, I should have used tape instead of glue. I used a lot of glue. So for the next year, I had a lot of my blocks had wrapping paper still all over them because I couldn't get them off, right? Just, that was not a good year of gift giving to myself. But that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about here is this. How do we give to ourselves? I want you to selfishly give to yourself the following things. Ready? Here's your list to give to yourself. One, daily spend time with God. You know the best thing you can give yourself this Christmas? Time alone with God. 
Spend some time in prayer. Get on your knees and just pour it out. Spend some time singing or listening to worship songs, either in your car, in the shower, in your living room, put the earbuds on, whatever you need to do. Read his word. There's a lot of great books out there, and a lot of you are good readers, but I would encourage you to get back into God's word and God's word alone for a while. Memorize his scripture. Get outside, observe God's incredible nature and greatness and creation. Think about what drove the wise men to find Jesus. Scripture from Micah and the star, nature. God's word, God's creation were two of the driving forces that helped the wise men find Jesus. Joy is first discovered in giving ourselves to Jesus Christ and then giving ourselves to others and then giving back to yourself what we need here. Understand this too about joy. It is an internal thing. Your joy is not based, my joy is not based on outward circumstances. A lot of us do that. We look at what's going on around us and we we determine that Christmas is going to be good or bad based on what's in our pockets, what's in our bank account, or what's going on in our life. And we say, oh, this Christmas, this year is going to be, hmm. We're basing it on external things, outward circumstances. And joy is not dependent on those things. It's like opening a Christmas card. You open up that Christmas card you got, and you can feel it's a little thick, so you're thinking, oh, there's something in here besides the card, right? And you you sort of open up, you sort of wonder what's going to be in there, and you sort of like, oh, I wonder what I get. And it could be something really good. It could be some gift cards. It could be some cash. It could be a check, right? And you're like, yes. Or you open up, and there's like, it's just a pile of glitter everywhere. And you're like, mm, glitter. I just got glitter bomb. You know, and you're like, oh, mad. Or it could be something else, you know. But we sort of miss it. We base that card on what it contained. Something good or something bad, but we missed it. It's the message. It was the message in that Christmas card. Somebody had you in mind when they sent you that card and they put a message in there for you. And we forget about the message. We're so focused on what is else is in the car. You know what I'm saying? Isn't that what God does with us? He gives us his word. He gives us an incredible message. But instead of focusing on the message he gives us, we focus on everything else around us. It's like, just put your eyes back on the message that I want to give you. It's not about the circumstances. It's about what I've given you in truth. And here's the thing now. Joy is your choice. It's your choice, church. When we look at our present circumstances through the eyes of faith, we're either trusting God that he is going to work, that he's never going to leave us, that he's never going to abandon us. That's your choice. 1 Thessalonians, Paul says this, never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. He didn't say be thankful for all circumstances, that in all circumstances be thankful. We have a lot to be thankful for. As soon as we stop being thankful, that's when we become complainers. When we become complainers, you have no joy. You have a choice in your circumstance. Even this week, preparing for this message, know that I'm speaking on joy. Circumstances come my way, and it's like, I can let circumstances derail this message of truth, or I can choose joy over the circumstances. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. I don't know if you've ever seen this before. This maybe will help you understanding about choosing joy here. Um, and it's just sort of funny because I was 
talking to the blisses a little bit earlier and looking at Stella and it's like, this, this happens often, okay? And maybe it's me, I don't know. But when you walk up to somebody and they've got a child, a little infant or maybe a year or two old or something, and, and you're like, hey, how you doing, buddy? Hey, little girl. Hey, sweetie. You know, you start talking to them and the baby just sort of like looks at you like, don't recognize the voice. Hmm, should I cry? Then you see those lips sort of, you know, sort of like pick her up there. And then you see the, oh no, it's like, oh, oh no, no, do not cry, do not cry. You know, it's like, you know, you're trying to like, oh, no, no, no. And it's like, and then that baby's almost like looking around, waiting to hear mom or dad's voice. Because right now they see something strange or they see something fearful and they're like, I don't know whether I should just scream right now and cry or is it going to be okay? Is mom or dad nearby? And then mom or dads are quickly or, or grandma or grandpa are quickly to say, hey, it's okay. Perfect timing on that cry, okay? Um, and you're just hoping that they will not cry because why? Because they heard the voice of their mother or their father. And in those moments in life, sometimes I feel that way, like, like that infant, like that child that's like, I'm out in this world, and I see things around me that are strange or different. And it's like, should I cry about this one? Should I get angry about this one and scream? Good timing. Or should I trust that my Heavenly Father's right here with me? That I'm not alone. That I've not been abandoned. That although things around me, circumstantial, can be a little scary at times or unfamiliar at times, I can still trust my Heavenly Father who's there holding me. He's promised me, He's promised you to never leave us nor forsake us. He's here. Do you trust Him? If you do, then you can sit here and say, then I choose joy. I choose joy. I'm not going to let the outward circumstances make that decision for me. I'm choosing joy because joy comes from in here, not out here. So I will give my life to Christ because my joy is first found in him. And he gives me his spirit and I can show that joy to others. And yeah, I need to feed on that joy for myself too. In the book of Luke chapter 2, it says this, Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David Church. We've got good news, and it brings great joy. So in your moments of fear, listen to the words of God. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. We've got good news, which will bring great joy. Today, a Savior's been born. Yes, a Messiah has been born. He is alive. He has risen. Would you stand, please? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an awesome and amazing God you are. That you would send your Son, Jesus Christ, to be the ultimate sacrifice through that blood sacrifice so that we could have new life, we can experience and taste joy regardless of the circumstances around us, regardless of the the things that are happening that make us fearful, that make us feel alone, that make us feel isolated or hopeless. We can choose joy because it begins with you and your spirit in us. So God, we choose joy today. We celebrate the birth of your son, Jesus Christ for what he brings in hope and peace and joy. We love you, Lord.
we sing to you now. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.